and they've not had head coaches that were information brokers. Bill Belichick is a genius information broker. It's like his job is to take all this information and distill it in ways that people can use it and, and, and profit from it and profit from it with victories. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I think we see like the need for a head coach. You have to be that information broker. I'm Bill, this is JR, and we are extremely stoked to have Stephen Prather of Sports Source Analytics with us. 2011, the business started. It's gone remarkable places. It is a huge name in college football and college athletics, as you're about to find out. I've told you before, JR and I are geeks. We're a bunch of data nerds. We sit up at midnight, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, talking, texting, trying to figure out any analytical advantage we can whenever we're playing somebody because if you're like us we're not always blessed with the biggest and fastest and strongest people but we feel like we can make you better athletically but what we can do is teach you the game and today Mr. Prather is here to help us learn why analytics should not only be at the forefront of your mind with thinking but why you can't live without it. Welcome, Mr. Prather. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Excited. Absolutely. JR, how excited are you right now? Oh, I'm I'm like trip to Disneyland time right now. So I just won the Super Bowl. Super excited. <laughs> JR, because this is like uh, your birthday today, kick this thing off and let's learn some more about analytics. Yeah, I'm super excited for this to hear what uh, Mr. Prather has to say. And I'm going to start off with the first question here which will be, how did you guys get started? Yeah, so it's kind of a fun story. This was a fake business plan that I put together in business school. I had no intention of this being an actual business. Uh, This was 2005. I uh, I did my undergrad at Vanderbilt, went and worked, and I played baseball at Vanderbilt. Yeah, so I've got a little bit of the numbers background from kind of being a baseball guy. Like most people, I read Moneyball and just loved the book mm-hmm. and you know, loved what sure. it stood for and just the way you know the way approach thinking. And um, it went back to Vanderbilt to get my MBA, and then uh, we had to do a communications course, which is basically just how to present a business plan. So I put together this kind of fake plan. And I've always loved college football from a standpoint of a spectator and that you know just always been a passion of mine. Even though I was a baseball player, I've always loved that. So I basically put together the plan of, hey, you know, I'd love to kind of start a company that helps athletic directors hire coaches, but do it with really good information, like actually dig in. So instead of just saying, hey, this guy interviewed well, I like the way he looks, like let's actually dig in. Let's create a database where you have all this credible information on coaches and see how well they perform and how dependent they might be on coordinators and all these things. So I did that. And um, did it for the class, you know, and, and did, really did not think about it again. I mean, I, I did it for the class, put it aside. I think I, like, I sent it to my brother and was like, hey, I thought you might find this interesting because my brother played baseball and was a sport junkie like myself. So fast forward, I, I graduate in 07, got my MBA, started working in commercial real estate here in Nashville. Market basically collapses in 08. So yes, I'm sitting here, I'm a commissioned sales guy 
and I'm brand new. And I'm like, you know what? I might need an extra, you know, it's extra money somehow. <laughs> My brother right. is doing commercial real estate in Atlanta and kind of having the same experience. And he called me up one, one day and says, Hey, um, what, do you remember that business plan you put together? I was like, what business plan? And he like resent it to me. I literally forgotten about it. He's like, <laughs> like, you think we could actually do this? I'm like, dude, I don't, I mean, I, I have like basic Excel skills and I'm like, yeah, I've got good ideas. And then just, you know, how much I, I think um, Jim Collins calls it who luck, you know, a lot of life is who you interact with and who you introduce to. Mm-hmm. So one of my best friends from college who played baseball with me, had moved to Atlanta right after school and also become very close to my brother is arguably the smartest guy on earth. And, and he literally, the, I mean, he has incredible coding skills. So we call him up and we're like, Hey, you think we could ever create a database like this? He's like, look, I'm actually looking for some side projects. So long story short, we kind of started, you know, building this debt. This was probably in you know, 09, you know, late 09. And we basically spent a year or so kind of putting the database together and kind of officially launched right around 2011. And the kind of rest has been history. So that's kind of the, the story of fate business plans, what started this thing off. <laughs> that's incredible. So, so I got to ask, what grade did you get on it? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I did well in the class. But I remember, I think I got an A on that paper, at least. Presentation was fun. Everybody likes hearing about sports. And so I think I did at least pretty well on it. So when you were in college, you know, pitchers, they, they keep charts sometimes, uh, especially in high school when when they're not pitching and whatnot for us. Did you ever start to compile some of the data, some of the ideas during that time? Yeah, a little bit. You know, it's funny. Like I, I was at I was at Vanderbilt before they were any good. I, my my baseball reputation has massively improved since Tim Corbin. I was right before Corbin. <laughs> I kind of joke. I was like, if we hadn't sucked so bad, they could have never gotten Tim. Yeah, they wouldn't have fired <laughs> there. So, um, but yeah, you know, it's funny as you know, it's funny as like I tell people it's funny. So I did not have. I mean, if if I look back growing up, I mean, I I struggled a little bit in some math classes in high school and even in college. And, and, and we, we were not that advanced of a program. We, we yeah, certainly as a pitcher, like I said, I, I definitely kept charts. Um, I, I think what I've always found myself being interested in though, and I, even I felt this in college is I'm just, I've always been fascinated even when, as a player by coaches and how they do what they do. Why do they do what they do? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? And why do you believe this? So I think for me, like my interest in analytics didn't, didn't necessarily start with like stats or numbers. It, it's more about I'm fascinated with decision making mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. And, and like what, you know, what makes good decisions, what makes bad decisions, why do you do certain things? And I, I think that's at the core of what analytics is. Too many people think of analytics, they think stats. Mm-hmm. I mean, analytics is, is to me, it's about information and empowering that information to make really good decisions. It's not just about stats. I mean, anybody can go collect stats mm-hmm. and they can have absolutely no influence on what you're doing at all. For me, it's, it's that aspect of it. You know, the, the decision-making aspect that I'm really interested in. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm a little behind Jared cause I'm taking notes cause I told you I'm a <laughs> geek, right? So let you mentioned it about your brother, Tell us about your team members. Tell us all the guys yeah, that are there. We're four. We're a four man shop, which is kind of pretty fun. It's myself, my brother Andrew Borland, who's a guy I went to college with, one of my best friends, known him for you know twenty plus years now. And then a four partner got in Marty Cuvion. Marty came on board. He came on board about 
five, six years ago. Marty, Marty was running this great kind of website that it, for college football stat junkies, everyone was like relying on called collegefootballstats.com. And Marty lived in Atlanta. So, you know, I was, you know, and it just, he actually lived right near where Drew lived. And we kind of struck up a relationship and realized Marty's one of those. So he is just incredibly talented once again on the software, the back inside on real. And, and he's like kind of our data purity guy. I mean, he is, he makes sure that our data is really clean and that we're getting, you know, and that's a huge part of analytics mm-hmm. too. It's like, you're only as good as your information, right? You know, so sure. that's been big. So that's our, that's our team. I mean, we're, we're a four man shop and it, we, we kind of, yeah, we, we've thought about adding people at different times, but and we, we have kind of, we'll have interns while people doing stuff, but we've, you know, we've kind of found that, you know, we all kind of have skill sets that really build on each other. And it's been a great, we've been a great team. You know, you mentioned you, you guys kind of started building this in 2009. When did you decide, you know what, this might work? I think what, you know, what's funny is I never thought it was truly going to work until we landed the college football playoff deal. And, and we actually landed that, you know, pretty early on before we, you know, and I was pretty surprised. And that was all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, we actually may be able to make this thing legit. And it took, I mean, that took several years. I mean, like I said, we, 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 we've gone through multiple iterations. I mean, we first started off, it was like almost a, what, that freemium model, almost like a rival scout, right? So, hey, mm-hmm. we're going to have some free content. If you want the premium content, yeah, you pay us $99 a year. And and we quickly found out that there's, while the analytic community is definitely like intense about what they do, it's not a giant community. Certainly not like a recruit. Yeah, there's, I mean, every Tom, Dick, and Harry will pay 80 bucks a year to know what recruits on campus. There's mm-hmm. not that many that really want to, you know, know about first down efficiency. Or, you know, <laughs> different. I do. I do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's guys like us out there that want that. But um, and then we kind of went to like almost a totally well. Let's see if we can just go a free model, and then just you know try to drive tons of traffic to the site. You realize quickly, in order to make any real advertising dollars, you have to get millions of people showing up to your site, and we weren't going to get that either. So yeah. then we kind of throughout this process, we're like, man, what are we doing? We have an incredible database, like with really intense information. And we're like, we need to start, we need to start you know, selling this at a much higher price to a select group of people mm-hmm. and not worry about the average Joe fan. And then that's when we really started. In fact, our very first paying clients were agents that represent. Oh, really? Yeah. A group out of Birmingham um, who were still very close with Balt Sports, who represent a lot of coaches. They, you think about it, those guys, they, they need the information as much as anybody, right? They're trying to mm-hmm. go in and represent a coach. You know, they want to be able to point out why this coach deserves, you know, four million a year, why this guy should get hired to this job. So those were our very first real deal clients were were them. And then that kind of helped springboard us into, you know, they've also been great as far as introductions to coaches as well. So um it's been it's been a fun little ride. It really has. You know, you mentioned your the work with the college football playoff selection committee, and you guys were the exclusive platform uh for them. What what were they kind of looking for, if you can tell us? Yeah, you know, it's funny. You know that we got that whole relationship started on Twitter. That's how we literally got that. I, Michael Kelly, who's the current AD at South Florida, was at the time the COO of the, of the college football you know, playoff. 
we knew they were going to need information, right? They kind of said publicly they were going to have to have some level of this wasn't just going to be get a guys in a room. And so we started looking around. We're like, this is going to be interesting because we've built this database. We've got this incredible information. The great part about us too is there's no bias, right? We're not, I mean, mm-hmm. imagine if ESPN was the one providing the platform. <laughs> you know, yeah, the right. bias could be enormous. So, you know, it took us probably six trips, you know, to Dallas, meeting with them back and forth. But, you know, we, we had such a great platform and I think we were able to be nimble. And I think we were a lean company. So we, you know, we didn't have to go and put some exorbitant number out there that they had to pay in order to, to get us on board. And I think they just, they, at some point, they loved what we were able to put in front of them and create. And, and then I think also us not being a huge, like, you know, there's, there, we, no one's going to call us out for bias. Right. Yeah, I mean, we're a small company, right. four-man shop, you know, we're just creating a great platform. And I think it was, um, I think the real genius of what we do is the platforms we create because it's one thing to have, we call it our three C's. You've got content, context, and conclusions. Those are kind of the three C's we look at with analytics, right? At some point, you've got to have good data, but then I've got to be able to bring context to that data, and I've got to be able to draw a conclusion from it. And kind of, if you don't have any of the three C's, you kind of fall short. So we are really, really good at building really user-friendly platforms that allow people to interact with data really well. And I think that's what they were the most impressed with. I have a two-part question. First of all, was it a hard decision to let somebody else from the SEC come into your team with you? And was it your is your brother both you both played baseball, Vandy? We played at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech. Said, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So was that was that difficult? Because you got ACC, SEC, and now you're all working in one team. Was that tough to do? <laughs> it worked. We, 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 luckily, like I said, the, the kind of good about um, the good and the bad about being a Vanderbilt fan is like it's it's hard to get too passionate. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, oh man! So, yeah, you know, just there's been enough heartache over the last you know, you know being a Vanderbilt fan. But yeah, no, it was we, we we've worked we've worked very well with each other. It's been good. Very good. You do have a lot of platforms, and just going through your website and checking things out, there is stuff for everybody i mean no matter no matter what part of analytics really interests you there's something you can sink your teeth into and just get really excited about you mentioned the head coaching search platform on there and how you can help people when we were off air we were we were talking a little bit about that but i was astonished by one of the facts that you told us if you could just tell us about that part of your platform and what you guys do for the college football community that way yeah, so it's funny because like that was really you know, when I put together the business plan, that was the what I wanted to do, right? I wanted to help with ads with coaching searches, and it really was what we it was kind of the last thing we actually got into doing. And the last seven years, we've gotten involved in forty five head coaching searches, and basically what we're trying to do is, you know, sorry, bring a bring a level <laughs> of diligence to the process as far as okay you take an athletic director you know what all are you looking at when you go hire a coach i mean at some point i'm not going to sit here and tell you that personality doesn't matter or you know character integrity all that stuff matters however you got to make sure a guy can coach right and Mm -hmm. at some point 
kind of Bill Parcells line. At some point, your numbers are say who you are at some point, right? I mean, you're either having an impact or you're not. Um, one of my favorite coaching lines ever was Anson Dorrance, who's the legendary women's soccer coach at UNC. You know, he, he always said coaching isn't about knowing the game, right? A lot of guys know the game. He said, it's about getting players to do what you want them to do. It's about having an impact, right? And so that's what you look at, like, when you look at coaching. So that's what we try to look for. We, we kind of have a four-dimension approach we look at when we evaluate coaches. And we kind of put together these risk profiles on coaches. And the four dimensions, we think these are the kind of primary ways that you compete. So you got the player dimension, right, which is some point recruiting. So at some point – if I can just get better players, that's a way I can create an advantage, right? I don't necessarily right. have to be an elite coach if I can get better players. If my players are bigger, stronger, faster than your guys, like I've got an advantage showing up at the field. Mm-hmm. We look at the player development area, right? Okay, well, if I maybe I don't have as good of players or maybe my players are equal, but am I developing in them better? And then there's ways that we can see that play out on the field, right? So we can we can look at certain guys and – we kind of have like a talent wins and losses type thing. So, you know, who's taking maybe two, three-star players, but then turning those guys into NFL prospects, turning those guys into all-conference you know, all players, all-American players, and the different things we can look at. We look at scheme, you know, just so we look at different ways, impact on that. Then we look at, you know, culture. Culture is the hardest one to find hard data points for, but what we've always we always think culture shows up in consistency. Right. You know, I mean, at some point, if you've got a really good culture, it does show up. It'll start showing up with consistency. A lot of good, we always say, you know, bad coaches have good years and good coaches have bad years. The question is, do you know which one you have? Right. (laughs) Right. right. And that's that's the hard part, right? You know, guy, guy pops a great year. Okay. Well, let's look at his actual numbers and let's look at that. So I think what we've been able to do on the coach search side is just say, hey, like, let's, you know, don't buy a company without looking at its balance sheet, right? Right. Like, I, I'm not going to go buy a company and say, you know what, I just love their products. You mm-hmm. know, I'm not going to look at their balance sheet. And so, we, that's what we that's what we want to try to help do is look at the balance sheet. So, you know, that's what that's what we've been able to do on that front. And we found it. These ads love it. I mean, because. You know, most of what they have access to without us is like I call it media guide data. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it it'll kind of highlight just real kind of low level. I call it cheap data. You know, stuff you could just go and pull up a media guide and you know pop out a few things. And we, mm-hmm. we want to make sure that when you're going to hire a guy and pay him four, five, six, eight, ten million dollars, right? You know, you got to go deeper than that. Oh, absolutely. Do you think that phenomenon with what you're doing at the college level, maybe it already has, but how much do you think and do you think it's just going to trickle all the way down to high school? Yeah, you know, I think so too. I mean, at some point, right? I mean, that's the case with hiring anybody. I mean, it's like you, you want to make the process, you've you got to do your due diligence. And part of doing that is going through information. I mean, at some point, the great part about sports is, is that it, it? We we record things, right? You know, we there's there's a winner and a loser, and there's performance metrics you can look at. So we don't have to. Yeah, you know, there's no reason to guess. And I, it drives me crazy because there's still so many at every level, and it still drives us crazy at the college level. 
there's so many biases that still drive you know the the hiring process you know personality you know just connections and just the political side of it and it still drives it and it drives me crazy i always say you know if you look at how symphonies um how, how they pick who they who plays in a symphony when they show up to um to audition they're behind a screen so mm-hmm. so I, I i have no idea if it's a fat person a skinny person a female a male black right. white whatever yeah. About the music, mm-hmm. right? I want to. Can you play? I don't right. care what you look like. Can you play? And at some point, with coaches, is can you coach? Right? Are you having an impact? What do the numbers show about you? They're 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 not, There's no like. I'll be like. There's a common trait. There's really not. If you did, if we sat here and we came up with a list of the top ten college football coaches, I guarantee you they're all night and day different. Their backgrounds are different. Their personalities mm-hmm. are different. The beliefs are different. The way they coach is different. It's all different. But what's not different is they have an effect. There's a great book, um, Marcus Buckingham. He's kind of a, a, a you know, leadership writer. He's got a great book out called The Nine Lies of Work. And he said, and I found this fascinating. He said, one of the lies is that leadership is a thing. And what he means by that, he doesn't mean there's not leaders. He, this, this false idea that I'm going to like read a book or I'm going to train you and all of a sudden you're going to all of a sudden be a great leader. So he said, there's no such thing as leadership. There's only followership, <laughs> right? It's like if you, you know, right. someone's a good leader, if they're actually being followed <laughs> and, and followed willingly and in a direction that matters with meaningful results. And that's what I look at with coaches. I'm like, look, don't make it about, make it about that, right? Make it about the music, make it about followership. And then that's where we're hoping we're having an impact there. And believe me, there's plenty of searches where I'll look up. I'm like, oh my gosh, they didn't listen to the thing we said. <laughs> and then there's somewhere, and, and it's not a, it's not a science, right? I mean, it's still an art. I mean, there's, there's not like, I'm not going to scientifically tell you, I mean, there's certainly guys we've looked at that have not been successful and you thought would be more and, 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 and vice versa. But it's just about having a good process, right? Just go about trying to make the best decisions you can and mm-hmm. make sure you have the best information. I think one thing you just said made a lot of sense, which is there is no reason to guess anymore because the, the amount of stuff that's out there that can assist you to do anything, it, it's a vast array of items, you know? Right. And if, uh, if you were a coach or if you were an AD, or you're somebody that's just looking to get started with analytics, where do you recommend you even start with it? Well, that that's the hard part, right? Is because like it's I think that's the thing is that people get intimidated to like you'd be amazed. Like I'll go, I was at a I was at a convention here three, probably two, three months ago now. There's a room full of coaches, there's some NFL guys, high school and college coaches in there. And you know, there's probably 20, 30 guys in a room. And I said, I said, hey, raise your hand if you think you're analytical. Not a single hand went up in the room. Huh. And I think it's partly because they don't even really know what that means. And I think – or if they they think it means, like, you've got to have a Ph.D. in statistics, right, or you've got to have some advanced math training. A lot of these guys are, you know, former players and stuff. So and that's a great question, Yara. I think, I, think, I think a lot of – that's a great question because – you know, when I look back, we didn't really – the one reason we created what we created because there wasn't a lot out there. 
you know, like, yeah, you can go to ESPN, you can go to different things, you can kind of look up some numbers, but it's hard to know where to start. And I mean, that's a good question. I mean, it's like, I, I think like I've talked to high school coaches too. And I said, start with your own, with what, with what in, in your own house, meaning like go ahead and start tracking your own stuff to start, you know, like, okay, what do we care about? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Well, if we care about this, then let's find a way to kind of measure it. Right. And then once we measure it, then we can really manage it better. So I think start it, it just started real high level questioning of why do we do what we do and how can we measure that? Right. There's a, I call it the, um, the Abraham Lincoln. Uh, there's a great book. Um, I'm blanking the author's name now, but he, it's, he's, it's a book about Lincoln and Churchill and their kind of leadership styles. And this guy said one Lincoln's real, he had a kind of three part leadership style and it was, it, the first part was you have to vigorously measure success and failure, hmm. right? Okay. So, what is success? What is failure? Number two, find the causes of success. Number three, eliminate the causes of failure. It's, it's one of the greatest management systems I've ever seen. It's the simplest thing ever, but right? It's like, okay, first and foremost, I got to measure it. You know, then I got to see, okay, like where are we succeeding and where are we failing? So mm-hmm. let's do more of the stuff that causes success and less the stuff that causes failure. Like that's analytics in yeah. a nutshell. And that's what it is. 100% agree. JR and I talk about this a lot. What is the definition of that word? Whatever it, is, whatever yeah. it may be. If I don't care if you're defining how you block. I don't care if you're defining analytics. I don't care if you're defining success or failure. Just define it so we all understand because I think you're completely right. I think people look at analytics and they're like, well, that's some, that's some computer stuff and they do that. I don't need that. I'm just playing so-and-so who I've played for the last five years and we've won by 20 every year. And guess what? That next Friday night or Saturday, you get beat by 20. That's right. It's because that guy learned how to define what success and failure was and how to figure out, like you said, how do we get more of this column and a whole lot less of this column and that's what yeah, you got to do. We, we get on uh, autopilot. I've gotten me real close with Michael Lombardi. I don't know if you guys are familiar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, he's, I've learned – I mean, we talk all the time, and he, he's been fortunate to – and he told me this probably a year ago. And at first I was like, what are you talking about? And then it's like – and now I'm starting to see it. He said – he said – he's talking about NFL coaches. He said most coaches don't know why they win or lose games. Hmm. I mean, he said they, they, they really don't – I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I, I don't yeah. know. Like, I'm like, what do you even mean by that? He's like, they don't understand why they win or lose. They really don't. And he goes, and he goes, he, and he goes, he goes, start asking. He goes, ask some of your clients on Sunday, Monday, say, hey, why did y'all win or lose the game? So I started to do it. And I was like, holy crap, he's right. I was like, most of these guys, like the answers were horrible. But they didn't really, yeah. or it was so very well, you know, well, we, we didn't turn the ball over. Well, I was like, okay, but like, well, why? Like, did you get lucky or like, what, what, or we executed? What is that? We didn't execute. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. I think his point was, like he said, <laughs> the genius of Belichick is he truly understands exactly why they win or lose. And that's the reason he doesn't lose that much. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. 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 What's going to really matter in a game. And most coaches, most coaches prepare for, they prepare to play. They don't prepare enough to like, 
under truly understand, okay, here's why we're going to win or lose this game. And going into it, know that. And then if you, if you know that going in, then, then you can obviously do a better job of making sure you don't lose, right? Mm-hmm. Is if I truly know why we're going to lose and I can make decisions to limit that, then I've got a much better chance to win. And he's, it is fascinating. There's a lot of guys, the reason you know he's true is because a lot of guys, they, they commit the same mistake over and over and over again. You're like, okay, well, obviously you don't know why you lose because you keep doing that. <laughs> No. Oh yeah. You know, in Lombardi's books, you know, the one he wrote, Gridiron Genius, that's fantastic. We're talking right. about uh, you know, I think it was like a master class in building championships and, right. and dynasties and whatnot. And some of the analysis that he gives in there, you just really don't think about that uh, on a normal day to day basis. You really gotta read the book to yeah. to understand kind of what he's what he's really talking about there. So I'm gonna ask you a couple specific questions about some of the things you guys do. I was looking at your uh, reporting dashboards and yeah. I kind of noticed you, it said on there, it will replace the reports, the kind of XOS, DV sport, you know, and whatnot to use. And at the high school level, I think everybody uses a uh, huddle, you yeah. know, which to me, that's just a, a conglomeration of data that won't tell you anything because they don't know how to, how to do reports. Uh, where do you guys kind of go with that, with that part of it, with your dashboard? Yeah, you know, part of it, like I said, I think was kind of going back to the creating, you know, when we first started working with coaching staffs, we, we go into these meetings and they'd, they'd have these game books that they'd put together for each week. I mean, they looked, I mean, they're like, they're the thickest things I've ever seen in my life. And I'm like, <laughs> we'd ask these guys, I'm like, how much of this do y'all really read? And if they were being honest, they'd say very little. Yeah, the, it was almost like, well, why are you doing this? So, you know, and one thing we really pride ourselves on is like when you get with coaches, it's like, look, you don't need 100 pages. What are the five in here that actually matter in a given Amen. week? Amen. Yeah. Amen. Forget the 100. I mean, it's like the people think that's what analysis. Well, look at this thick book. Like, I don't, I don't give a crap about the 100 pages. There's only three in there that are going to make any real difference. You know, we've always said data can actually be a liability. If you're spending a lot of time, energy, effort collecting something and you're taking away from other things, and then you're not doing anything with it. Then I, I said, there's a lot of it that you don't need to be doing. Mm-hmm. We see that a lot. You know, like I, I've had coaches and they'll show me a report and I'm like, well, what do you do with this? And they'll, they want to have a good answer. It's almost like it's just become a part of their habit, right? Why does this what I look at? Okay. Well, mm-hmm. how do you look at this? Right. right. Like, how's this making you better? Does this matter to winning and losing? And if the answer is no, then, then stop, stop it. You know, like you don't have, it's almost like there's a sense in the football world of like more is better. Right. right. There's just like, right. well, I gotta have more. I gotta, if I spend 30 more hours watching film and I, you know, I put together 30 more reports then I'm that much better off. And I'm like, well, not necessarily, you know I mean? It's, it's, it's a matter of distilling like Lombardi and I talked about this too. It's about being an information broker. So we talk about like, you like the like Cleveland Browns, for example, they've got a huge analytics department, but they suck, right? Because like they don't have someone at the top and they've not had head coaches that were information brokers. Bill Belichick is a genius information broker. But it's like his job is to take all this information and distill it in ways that people can use it and, and, and profit from it and profit from it with victories. And I think that's where I think we see 
like the need for a head coach, you have to be that information broker. You got to make sure you're knowing when to give it out, why to give it out, how to give it out, what to look at, what not to look at. And I think there's not enough coaches that do that. They think analytics just means like hiring people to put together reports. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden we're analytical. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> you have a lot more paper. You know, like you're, you just, you're not, you're not, you're not any more analytical. You just, you hired a bunch of guys to go print off reports. I mean, I was with a, we were with a SEC defensive coordinator last all season and we passed by this room and there was like 10 guys huddled in there. And I was like, who are all those guys? He goes, ah, a bunch of analysts. I said, like, what do they do? <laughs> <laughs> what are they doing in there? He said, he goes, I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, a, a lot of it is, you know, it just, to me, it's about being simple. You got, if you can distill it down to simplicity of like what matters. And that's, that's the hardest part is asking the right questions. We, we always say, I think the biggest mistake I've seen in analytics, people start with the tactical instead of the strategy. Like you got to start at a higher level. Like we'll, like we'll go to a team. They want to immediately start talking about like two point charts and fourth down. I know. Like, oh, hold up. I want to talk about high level. Tell me how your team is designed. Tell me about the offense you run, the defense you run, this, your special teams philosophy, your practice philosophy. I want to hear your overarching strategy. How are you designed to win games? Mm-hmm. Right? And like, that's a high level start there. And then let's start diving in. Let, let, let's let the tactics be driven from a strategy, not the other way around. And so, you know, like, look, here's the reality is like your fourth down chart. Isn't why you win or lose games. It's really not. I mean, the handful of times in a year that in the games, it really makes it's like, if you know, it, it's you know, when forty plus percent of football is first down, and you have a you have a crappy first down, you know, package or game plan, that's going to be more likely be why you lost the game, not because you didn't go for a fourth and two at midfield. Right, right, right. Um, right. That stuff drives me crazy with not starting with the right <laughs> questions on the strategic. You know, and I think you mentioned. Bill and I talk a lot about you can have paralysis by analysis. There's got to be a a spot to where it has to stop. You know, and you mentioned you got to figure out exactly what is important. So if somebody was trying to decide that, what would you say would be the top three things where they could start? Yeah, you're talking about like you're trying to figure out what's important. Yeah, like in a, within a scouting report realm or, or anything. You know, for, I think, first of all, start with a little bit of intuition, right? I mean, sometimes it, it, we act like our guts can be very good. You know, a gut instinct can be good. So, I mean, I think part of it is, you know, I always start off with a kid say, what does it matter? I'll say, what do you think matters? And you start off with that. Like, okay, is it, well, turnovers. Okay, well, let's look at that. You know, well, red zone. Okay, let's look at that. You know, and start looking at it. And then – that's where we're able to then go in and like look through different platforms and start saying, okay, how much do you know? I'll, one of the best ways we do it is almost every coach has game goals, right? Yeah. We always, I always want to start off with tell me your game goals and that'll quickly tell you what coaches think matters or it, most time a lot of them are just, well, this is what the previous coach before me had, had done and or a guy that I used to coach with did these. Okay, well, let's really look at those and let's start digging in. So a lot of times we start there with guys and start saying, okay, I want to start with what you think matters and then let's look at what matters. And a good example of that was we were working with an SEC offense coordinator a couple of years ago and he kind of was going through his game goals. 
And one of his game goals was about reds touchdown, you know, percent in the red zone. So I think he, he had a goal of like 78%. So I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's, let's start off. Okay. One, is that a realistic goal? Right. So like, once again, let, let's get to the context. And we quickly right. found out that was not going to be realistic. I said, <laughs> and, then, and then the second part was, okay, let's now also look at your goal. I think it was like 75, 78% touchdown. Percent. I said, okay, coach, I'm going to give you a hypothetical. Let's, let's go to the end of the year. And I say, coach, congratulations. You guys scored touchdowns 90% of your trips to the red zone and you averaged two trips per game. <laughs> are, you, are you are you happy? Not gonna work. Like, okay, well then, once again, you got a crappy goal. Like red zone, red zone efficiency matters, but only in conjunction with trips to the red zone. Like if we look at trips to the red zone is more important than red zone efficiency. If I can, right. I mean, if you win the trips to the red zone battle, meaning I get to the red zone more often than my opponent, forget what happens here at the college level. You win nearly eighty percent of the time. Just trips, mm. right? Some point, wow. I mean, it's it's almost eighty percent the last uh, five years. Just win the trips battle. Just get there more often. So that's just a way of looking at like a very simple approach of like, okay, now that that does matter because like instead of just blindly looking at an efficiency, because you know we could get beat fifty-two to seven, and the one trip to the red zone we got, we scored a touchdown, and I met a game goal. Well, that's a crappy game. Goal. <laughs> like, you know, like if yeah. I can, one thing you'll look at, which is great, we have we have, we create these cool uh, goal dashboards for coaches. And I'll I, and we took a trip to I, 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 I was visiting. And they had their game goal board up there. It was for the previous season, so you could see the result. And I said, "Are y'all seeing the same problem I am?" They're like, "What do you mean?" I was like, "Well, I'm seeing a lot of games where y'all achieved a large portion of your goals and you lost." Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Like those get new goals, right? You know, like, <laughs> right, right. Like goals. So I think it's like anything else. And the rowdy is too. It's like it's, there's no there's no magic bullet. Anybody looking for a magic bullet? There's not one. Especially with football. High school is massively different than college. College is massively different than the pros. Even in the college, the SEC is massively different than the Big Twelve, which is vastly different than the MAC and the Sun Belt. So you know, it, it really depends on on what you're looking at. And once again, that's why there's not some magic formula. It's about just asking the right questions, gathering good enough data. I mean, it goes back to Lincoln, right? Yeah, I want to be able to measure it. I want to then be able to find the reasons why I'm doing good or bad. And I want to be able to do more of good, less of bad. bad. Should win be on the the game goals? That's right, right? Win, right? I mean, number one. Yeah, number one, let's win. (laughs) How you do that, I mean, in the end of the day, it, it matters. To, you know, if you want to consistently win, you need to know why you do it. But at the end of the day, get a W, right? Yeah. Oh, 100%. 100%. So in business, we, we have this little saying that fits exactly what you're saying. Revenue is vanity, profit is sanity, and cash is king. That's great. I love you, that. You can have as much revenue as you want. If right. it makes you look good, okay, great. You know, you, you can – your profit that that keeps keeps exactly. you going. That's right. But at the end of the day, it's the cash in your hand that That's tells right. you who you are. Right. Really, real estate. I still do a lot of commercial real estate stuff, and we call it cash and fist. That's the only I care about in real estate. Is like when when all said and done, after I get my rent and I pay all my bills, what what and I pay my mortgage, what is my cash and my fist? Right? <laughs> That's right. That's Absolutely. That I'm going to care about. Absolutely. I 
I love the fact that what you guys are doing is taking the same thing that you do for the team at the school or the business or whatever you're saying, okay, here's our vision. Yeah. This is our mission statement. And then you have to have goals that clearly define and tell you how you're going to achieve that mission and that vision. That's right. But so often like JR and I have been called cheaters. We have a very good friend, but he's called us a cheater because we use analytics. Right. Uh, but if we're using analytics and we're stopping you and you can't run the ball for more than two yards because of our analytics, then we win the football game. That's right. You know, so I think it's, it's kind of like the Rubik's cube. Everything, everybody thinks it would be really cool to solve it. But once you start, people just want to move the stickers around because they don't want to take the time to learn it. Right. That's right. Yeah. It's like, look, we would all say none. You know, most people want to just do, I mean, there it's, you know, there's a conventional path to failure that people love to follow. It's like, mm-hmm. they, they don't like to think differently. I mean, that's, that's all I like people like say, I always ask people like Moneyball, like all Moneyball, Moneyball's value investing. It's just, it's not, it's not was well, like, Oh, well, that means you don't bunt or no, no, no. It was basically, we don't have a ton of money. How can we still win games? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, well, let's start looking at it. Well, you know what? You know, the only way to really score runs is to get on base and do this and you know, just, start, just start asking the questions, right? Okay, well, then, wow. Then they found things that weren't being valued properly that they could, they, they could capitalize on. That's, that's what all that is. All Moneyball is is, is value investing. I mean, it's, it's finding hidden value and finding what matters. It's finding little edges that your opponents don't have. And, and that's the same thing with analytics. I and mean, that's what you guys are looking for. When you're preparing for a team, you want to be able to go in there with a little bit more information. Mm-hmm. Now, I look back, I think, I think my, when I really trace my, my, my greatest coach I ever played for was my high school basketball coach, a guy named Ron Bell. He's in the Georgia Hall of Fame. And I didn't, you know, you don't realize at the time, we were so shockingly prepared for games. <laughs> we had literally 30-page scouting reports for virtually every game we played high school, we were all white Catholic school. My freshman year, we went 32 and 0 and won the state championship in Georgia. Oh my gosh. And, 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 and we had one guy on that team that went and played any kind of real basketball in college. And we would go into games and I always tell people, I'll say, if you want to motivate the single best way to motivate is with through preparation. Hmm. Because we go into games, we knew exactly what they were going to do. We knew where all the strengths and weaknesses of their players. We knew their tendencies, and and it took away anxiety. They, right. they all of a sudden we knew exactly how they were going to try to beat us. We knew exactly what we couldn't can do, and all of a sudden we were the most confident team in the world through that. They, that that's analytics, right? I mean, that's what that information that he gave us prepared us to win games. And I think that's really, if I look back at it, that's probably one of the most powerful things that I had done was I had a coach at such early age that like stage that did that. Yeah. I played for yeah. for four years and I saw that and I was like, we, there's games. I'm like, we have no business winning this game. Right. <laughs> right. Like, and we'd win, you know, yeah. like, oh, wow. you know, it's kind of cool. It's, it's awesome. Cause you take that team that might be a team of fives or six out of a scale of one to 10. And because you prepared them, they're playing like they're eights or nines. Right. I mean, that, that's yeah. really what they're doing. And, JR and I love this portion of it. We've actually been talking about this through text. Like once you said yes to come on the podcast, I was like, JR, you're never going to believe who said yes. This, this is, <laughs> this is going to be totally awesome. And this is not disappointing. I found one section of your website really, really interesting. And 
don't do it at the high school level, but I should referee profiling. Yeah, we've been I mean, once again, like anything else. I mean, you know, yeah, there's they've got tendencies there, and there's there's some of our clients who get a lot of really good data out of that, and there are certain crews that you know, are going to call certain penalties at higher rates, and, and they may call a lot more offensive than defensive penalties, and even you know, parsing it out by quarter, you know, by home and away, you know, trying to see is there a is there a is there a bias that comes into place when a guy you know crews at, at you know the home field or so away game and you know, like like anything else I mean you got to be careful like you sometimes sometimes what you find interesting is that there's not that much interesting in it right you know but that can be yeah. interesting others you're like oh wow you know and and this is you know we we see this guy you know calling a lot more holding penalties here compared to other crews or this or that and that's that little thing once again it's just looking for that small edge you know when you when you look at that. And that's what a lot of these, you know, these coaches are trying to do. You want any edge you can get. And, and like I said, at certain places, that becomes more important than others. Like I had, the, I had the opportunity to go spend about two hours with Bill Snyder, and he's been one of my coaching heroes for a long, long Very time. Very cool. Yeah. And it was fascinating to see and talk about, I mean, nothing he did not have his – there was nothing he wasn't interested in. I mean, he wanted every ounce of information – that could anybody could ever have, he, he wanted it. And he was a great information broker. I mean, he knew then how to take that and then, and then dive into it. It was a fascinating, you know, deep dive with him. It's amazing to me the amount of data that you guys not only input, but also output, you know, yeah. to give people an idea of, of whatever they are interested in, exactly what is going on. When you guys are starting this process, what was the first category you decided we're going to focus on this right now and get this right? So, so the, you know, one thing too is like the great part of what we have to do is, is like we have to be really good listeners. So almost every single platform we've built has come from straight from a coach saying, hey, you know what? You know, it'd be really cool. That like is almost the conversation. Like one of my favorite early tools we built was came from Tom Herman. He was at oh. Ohio State at the time as an OC. And, and he said, he's like, man, you know what? I'd really love like a he's, – he's like, I'm envisioning like a sushi menu except like stats like that can happen in a game. And I want to be able to go like checkbox different ones and then show me, okay, when these three things happen, when these two things, when these five things happen, what's the impact on winning? Like, hmm. All right, let's, let's build it. And so yeah. we then we go and and then we go build it right and so the, almost every we, who was it Rich Skrosky who's now the 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 uh, OC at FIU he was at Ball State at the time and he kind of had this idea for like hey I want to really see what impacts drives the most like when we get a big rushing play when we get a sack <laughs> when we get a penalty like what's the real impact how often do we then score points score touchdowns like okay well let's build it so we call that our drive tool. And then it's, you know, then we get, you get the situational stuff and then we get into different levels. So almost every bit of it came from coaches. It's just having good old, like conversations like this, sitting around the table and saying, you know, it'd be really cool. You know, and, and after almost all of our platforms have come from that kind of stuff. What we consumed for data that we found was important. We had kind of our own scouting report for us coaches, right? Yep. But then what we gave to the kids was a very much concise one page this is it. This is all I need you to focus on. But we took it to the coaches and said, now listen, that's 60 kids who got to go to class. They got to do this. They got to do that. Yeah, you're teaching those class. But at night when they're supposed to be sleeping, 
this is the information that we're going to go off of, and this is how we're going to look at it. What is that a valuable way to look at it, or should we yeah. flip it around? No, hundred percent, right? Like that's your job as the information broker, right? That mm-hmm. you guys are doing exactly what I'm, what I'm talking about, which is fantastic. At some point, yeah, I remember Manny Diaz told me he had a great line, and he, you know he always said he tells coaches he goes, "Guys, never forget, we're only as we're only as smart as our dumbest player." <laughs> and his point was like, at some point, you know, like if, if no matter how smart you are. And how many endless hours of film and stuff, if you can't communicate it to your whatever, to your guy, this could actually matter on the field, then it ain't going to matter a whole lot. So I think to your point, that is the way to do it. It's your job as coaches to really dive in and to know some intri- intricate details that your team, but then your job then is to say, okay, how can I then present this to my players in a way they can one, digest it in a meaningful amount of time and do something with it. And I think that's where that information brokerage part comes into play. And I think right. that's where that's a lot of leadership in my mind is that like I've had so many guys that are former guys that have played with the Patriots tell me what's really fascinating about Belichick is people said if they knew how simple some of their game plans are, they'd be like shocked. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure. Like, yeah. What? That was the game plan. And it's not that it probably was really complicated, but what Bill did was he was able to distill it for them into a really simple way that they could understand it. And like, got it. I can, I can do that. And then, and then, that, so I think that's to me where like real genius lies with the coaching side of it is like, what am I going to share? How am I going to share it? Why am I going to share it? And then what do we still have on our end to kind of you know, you know, implement it the right way? And I think, I think you're doing exactly right. I mean, I think that's where a good coach does that is I think there was a uh, Tom Coughlin had, a, I think one of his books he wrote, he always used to say, we want to feed our players a steady kind of a steady diet of data, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like it was like a steady information, never too much, right? We don't want them to choke on it or puke from it, but we want to, we want to give them a steady diet of information. And I think right. that's coaches do right you know there ought to be a little bit of information you know feed a little bit feed a little bit here feed a little bit there get in their head understand what you want them to, to know is important and and then like and they'll, they'll get that i think you got to communicate the data to your players yeah i i agree you know jr and i spend an exorbitant amount of time coming up with what we think are offensive goals right like yeah. one of the things that we look at is how good is our drive if we can get at least half the yards we need on first down? Right. So whether that's first and 10, first and five, first and 15, how good are we at getting a second set of downs if we get half the yardage on first down? And what we found is that if we can get half on first down, our success rate just exponentially goes up yeah. because not only play calling and, and stuff like that, but the kids' mentality of what they can get, right? That's right. And that's like, you know, it's, it's like, you have four, over 40% of football is first and 10. It really is. I mean, it's like, you've got to be like, one of the things we look at, there's nothing new under the sun. We call it our Walsh rating. So we look at, Bill Walsh said that third down is often an overrated factor in winning and losing. And he said the best third down is the one you don't get to, right? <laughs> that's so true. If you actually yeah. look at what percent of your first downs are coming on first down, second down, and third down. And so you want a low percentage of your plays to be third down. So when we created our Walsh rating, like, oh, wow, guess what? You know what the best offenses in college football don't do that much? They avoid third down. Mm -hmm. 
they're like, you know, at some point, you know, it's like, I was like, well, I remember we were talking to a coach at the time. He's like, we got to get better on third down. So how are you going to do that? Well, we're going to implement some more third down packages. We're going to spend more time in practice. I'm like, coach, your third down problem is that you had one of the highest yards to gain average on third down of any team, and you got there too often. Your third down problem is not a third down problem. It's a first and second down problem. The problem yeah. is not to spend more time and more complicated third down. If you're in third and nine, most teams suck on third and nine. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Like, yeah. I don't care how much time you spend on it. You're not going to, you know, I mean, what you going to go from 15% conversion to 18? Like, you I mean, like that's, you, you got to get better. So that's another way of like understanding what matters is like, I need to make sure I'm emphasizing that. I want to emphasize to my offense, we want to avoid third down. We're going to try, like, you know, like I've always found it so that so the, the most common down and distance in football after first and 10 is second and 10 or longer. Mm-hmm. 15% of football. So, but what do most coaches do? They have throwaway second long game plans, plays or weekend offs, you because know, they get to the quote unquote manageable third down. And I always challenge you, well, what does manageable mean? Does it mean like when we convert 60% or more, 70% or more, 50% or more, what's manageable, right? So like you have a like the Patriots have a very sophisticated second long game plan. The reason they do is because they know the numbers, it happens a lot. Yeah. You're gonna be second and twelve a lot more, and you're gonna be in third and one. So, you know, like it just, it just that's just the data. I mean, like it just shows it. So you know, I'm not saying don't have a good third and one package, but the reality is you probably need to spend more time on your second and ten offense. Then you, you, know, you do your third and two offense. It's amazing to me just listening to you when you when you bring up stuff like the the second and long to where people just throw away plays, and then I'm sitting there, I'm going, you know, I never really thought about it that way, just because I just don't know the numbers to it. So as you're analyzing teams, and you guys are are obviously doing a lot of things for teams, what do you see as the area that everybody's the most negligent in? Yeah, you know, I, th- I think um, I think that is one of them. I think second and long is, is an area. I think there's, I think uh, like there, I think there's not a lot of teams that are intentional about being a good second and long team, you know. And I think even for, I don't think there's not a, there's not enough emphasis on first down, you know, on on first down offense. I mean, when you and the re- the way you know something is how what what do you practice, right? Like, wh- what are you spending time practicing on? Um, you know, and so I think another area that gets neglected is, is, um, uh, P and 10 efficiency. So Manny Diaz turned us on to this too. This was probably three, four five years ago. He, we were, I was at dinner with him here in Nashville. He's recruiting and, um, he said, Hey, I'm just convinced that P and 10 efficiency is like really, really vital to whether or not a team is going to score points on drives. I said, really? Huh? And he gotten this from Todd Graham. He said, he, and so, this was, you know, and so we said, okay, let's look at it. So we looked at it and we're like, oh my gosh, like this is like huge. You know, we were seeing where a team would literally, there'd be a 30, 40% swing in their ability of scoring just on the, what happened on the first play of the drive. It, it, it just, whether or not you were efficient on that very first play of a drive. And we're like, whoa, like we, we, we call it the first. So P and 10, first play of a drive. First down, um, first quarter. It is amazing how many college games are done at the end of like it, when you're leading after the first quarter, you've got over a 70% chance of winning the game. 
Look at the first oh, half. Look at the first half. It becomes even bigger. We look scoring first is amazing. So a lot of people like Lombardi told me this too because he's he's had the unique ability. He worked for Walsh, Al Davis, mm-hmm. and all, almost no one, only guy in football I think to have done that. And he said people misunderstood Wal. The reason Walsh was the guy that scripted. I mean, part of it was a comfort level and just taking away some of the guessing. But he said Walsh was obsessed with scoring first because he knew mm. how important it was. He said especially on the road. Like you like and so we started looking that day and we're like, oh my gosh, like it is shocking, you know, how often like how how important scoring first is. You know, like emphasis on stuff like that. Like I always joke, you know, everybody the, the old cliche, you know, everybody holds the four fingers up when the fourth quarter starts. And somebody said, you know, said, you know, the best way to be a good fourth quarter team is have a lead going into it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And the reality is like fourth quarter comebacks are actually pretty rare, at least in college world. Like yeah. I always joke, it's easy to come out with a one finger up when they leave mm-hmm. in the first quarter. Like we need to be a great first quarter team, a first half team. Another area we've seen really huge is the middle eight, which is those last four minutes. Yeah. yeah. So those are, gosh, it's been amazing. You can totally flip games that way. And if you look at like, yeah. I mean, there's almost no team that's a great middle eight team that's not a great team. Um, mm-hmm. There's so many examples of that, you know, and there's so many ways to do that. So, and once again, I think there's so many different areas on just stopping for a second and understanding why you're looking at what you're doing and why. You know, and mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing. And, I mean, the only real benefit right now to what we're seeing is I think this is a great opportunity for coaches during this time when everybody's got a whole lot of free time on your hands. Start asking great questions. Like, you know, this is the time when you can do that. Like, sit down and start questioning everything you ever did. I think Pete Limbo, I think it was Pete Limbo told me um, – one time he said he always he said every single year pretend like you were just hired to the job you have mm-hmm. like cause whenever you go to a new job you start questioning okay why are we doing this like but do that even if it's you've had the job 20 years still right. treat you're like that like you just got right. this job. okay i'm gonna look around with new eyes and see what do we need to be doing differently you mentioned belichick several times and we mentioned on a previous podcast episode that his dad's book the football scouting methods is unbelievable. So here's a question for you. Has anybody ever asked you to track inherited versus made first downs? You know, I don't think so. Now I see that. I don't think they have. Uh, Hopefully none of our opponents are listening to this. Yeah, we do that all the time. It is amazing the statistical difference between teams and what they do on an inherited, inherited first down versus a made first down. We have annihilated some teams mm-hmm. just with that data alone. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, never had that question. We've totally believe what you're talking about with scoring first. And the school that where we were on the defensive side of the ball and dabbled in the O a little bit before we're where we're at now, we had a streak of, you know, we put together our top six plays. It was how we think we can beat you right now to score. And I think for like three years, out of uh, the top six, I think there was only one drive we didn't score on yeah. in our first drive. And lo and behold, in three years, we only lost three football games, yeah. right? Yeah. So <laughs> it, it totally makes a difference. And I think what you're saying is so much up JR's alley and mine with eliminate all these goals that really to us mean very, very little. Because yeah. we, we look at it in a different way. Like if you say, hey, I don't want, I don't want, 
15 yards and penalties. Okay, why? I mean, we're we're dealing with kids. How many games in high school or college are played with no penalties, right? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Penalties, interestingly, penalties, if you look at it from a pure correlate, because that's really too, is coaches, it's only wrong. I'm not saying penalties don't matter, but they don't matter nearly as much as some coaches emphasize them. And, and, and just from a date, from a correlation standpoint, there's all, there's literally zero correlation between penalties and winning and losing. In fact, some really, the, yeah, literally zero. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, and, and part, if anything, and I'd, I'd relook at it, there could even be some of the best teams actually are highly penalized teams. Hmm. Um, and now there's some penalties that hurt worse than others. Right, sure. like so. There's it. Like anything else, it's kind of like with turnovers. I think I, I was because Coach Napier. We were we were talking recently. You know, not all turnovers are created equal. Right. Um, and and you know, no turnover is a good turnover. However, you know, if if it's third and ten, third and fifteen, and and I, you know, we throw a ball downfield, it's intercepted deep in there. Like that's different than you know, I turn the ball over in, in the red zone. You know, mm-hmm. and it's in the fourth quarter. So it's like anything else. There's, you know, it's, it's understanding, you know, which ones really matter. And not that I mean, you don't want to, you, you don't want to you know why everyone's turn the ball over, but the, knowing which ones matter the most and then communicating that and you know, knowing when it's so vital to not lose the football, you know, or so vital to do this. But, you know, just once again, I mean, it's that idea of just digging digging deeper and just continuing to ask questions. You know, I think that's for people also are negligent sometimes as well. This is the way we always did it. That's it's right. like, well, times change, man. You know, and you need right. to kind of think about things like that. So I'm going to ask you a hypothetical question here. Do you think a computer could make enough correct decisions to win a football game? I, I don't. I, I don't. And here's why I'll say that is because I think at some point there's a, there's a, I mean, you have to tell, I read a lot. There's a, uh, David Epstein's got a great book out. It's probably a year or so old now. It's called range. And in it, they talk about, there are, you have to understand the limits of analytics in whatever field you're in. So there's, you know, like there's kind and wicked environment. So like chess is a very kind environment, right? Mm-hmm. There's a reason a computer can beat the greatest chess player world because the rules, like the weather doesn't affect the chessboard. You know, like the, 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 the right. temperature of the room, you know, my, my, like the rules are very standard. You know exactly what you can do. There's a lot mm-hmm. of things in very kind environments. You know I mean? I mean, a lot, there's, and there's like, you know, some sports are pretty, baseball is a much kinder environment than football. Um, you know, there's yeah. golf is a very kind environment. Just that football is wicked. It's very wicked. You've got 22 people on the field. You've got all kind of moving parts, and and context is everything, right? You know what happens from one play to the next. There's injuries that you can't plan for. There's, you know, you know how hard a guy gets hit to play before. You know, so you know the weather changes middle part of the game. You know, just the the atmosphere, the motivation. There's so many things that go into it. So I mean, I, I think you have to be very careful with understanding the limits of like what the side can do. Um, it can, I'm not saying it can't be very useful. It can't, but, but to answer your question, I think you got to be very careful with, you know, the, there's still some decision-making that you have to have in game. Like there's, you're not going to be able to model very well. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, I, I read a lot about, uh, 
Fergus Connolly, I yeah. really like. I've, I've got to be buds of Fergus. He's a great guy. I tell you, some of the stuff that he does is – it's unbelievable. And, you know, he's putting out a series here pretty recently that I've been on in the mornings, and he's talking yeah, about good. invasion games and yeah. manipulating space and all this. And when you were kind of talking about some of the stuff you read, it reminded me of a book that I read called The Only Rule Is It Has to Work. Yeah. And it, it was about <laughs> just a couple of baseball guys that were huge into analytics and got involved with an independent league team, I think is out in California. and. So we're going to do all this shifting and we're going to do all this stuff and it's all going to be based on analytics. And for the most part, it worked out for them. You know, they still had some pitfalls here and there, but uh, I tend to agree with you. I think the computer can help, you know, a lot. We've kind of proved it with with the stuff we've kind of developed that it's kind of nice having that comfort zone to say, well, what, what does the computer say right now? And then you kind of look at what's going on. Like you said, it isn't a, it's a wicked game. Yeah, there's um, Daniel Kahneman's book, um, Thinking Fast and Slow. He talks about a lot. The the best thing you can do is combine kind of algorithmic type thinking with, you know, also some good human intuition. That typically is when you get the best results. I mean, you know, that that computers, like I said, in certain environments, they can do really well. But but in others, you know, they can't. I mean, interestingly, even just look at our current circumstances – it's a lot of these, you talk about a wicked environment. Imagine trying to predict what a, what a virus is going to do and, and all the different around the world. And you see some of these models that has just been massively off. Yeah. And there's a great line by George Box, who, you know, kind of famous line that, you know, all models are false, but some are useful. And so you got to understand every model you put together is going to be wrong. It's just, is it useful? And yeah. so like, that's where you got to ask yourself, like, it's not whether or not this is exactly right. Because any, any app, anything you're modeling, you're making assumptions and you're having to take into account, it's this, am I actually getting usefulness out of it? And that kind of goes to what you said in that book, like, does it work? Working in a way that's providing me useful information that I'm then able to use to make better decisions. If it's not, then it's not, then, then don't do it. Get rid of it. That's an awesome point because how many times do you get into a game, JR, whether you're, you're dealing with baseball or Steven, you're, you're pitching at Vandy or, you know, we're calling a play on Friday night and you ask the kids what they want. And statistically, it's probably not, it may not be your best play, but it's one that they trust and they know they can get six yards that turns into eight. Or, okay. you know, what, what's the old saying in baseball, never shake off the catcher, right? Don't ever <laughs> shake off the catcher because only yeah. bad things happen. Uh, I'm going to ask a couple more because your time is really valuable and I could sit yeah. here and talk for hours. But um, years ago, I went to Vegas and I heard Chip Kelly speak. And this was, he was still still at Oregon. Yeah. And I remember him starting off his his presentation for the morning at the at the Nike clinic with, time of possession is nonsense. It means nothing. I don't care about it and neither should you basically. What have you guys found as more and more teams shifted away from the under center wishbone and triple option back in Nebraska to full spread and tossing the ball all around the yard? What have you guys found about time of possession now? In yeah, college so football? That, I love the conversation. So I actually disagree with him in, in this sense. Time of possession doesn't matter unless you make it matter. And what okay. I mean by that is, like, so great example, I want to go to one of my heroes, Bill Snyder. You go back and look, I think it was 2011 and 12, they had back-to-back 10, 11-win seasons. 
they were clock eaters. Now, the reason is it was designed that way because part of the reason he knew that the only way they could win games is like the other team can't score if they don't have the ball. They don't have legit defensive players, right? Like he's, I mean, they've got to find ways to shorten the game, to keep the possession, to be ultra efficient with their possessions. I mean, like, right, the way the way Army is designed that way. Um, mm-hmm. I just analyzed Kirk Soroka um, at, um, who's down at Penn State, fast, a huge time possession guy, but been ultra efficient on that. So it's not that time possession doesn't necessarily, like, if you look at it from a pure correlation of statistics, it has very little correlation to winning. But that doesn't mean that you can't make it matter. It's kind of like tempo. Tempo mm-hmm. is only good if it's good, right? <laughs> like, it's not inherently a good thing to be a tempo team unless it is good, unless you use it strategically to your advantage. So I think whenever you talk about stuff, like, interestingly, like Mike Leach has actually said very similar things, like, oh, times that's the most usually in the world. And what's fascinating is Leach actually is usually pretty high on time of possession. <laughs> like, like it, it's, it's, it's kind of good. Like, so I do think possessing the ball is, is important. Now, you know, the time of it can be less, but at some point, you know, if I can be ultra efficient and I can keep the ball, I, that can be very, very good for me. But right. like I said, I, if I eat up clock and I don't go score, then mm-hmm. once it goes down to red zone, I have to marry the efficiency with the possession. Mm-hmm. Like, which is what our, our army does. You know, a lot of the triple options do that. It's what Kirk Soroka has done as an OC. It's what Bill Snyder did. Uh, those guys made it matter. Chip Kelly could have cared less, right? He just wanted to be ultra explosive and efficient. He didn't care if they scored in, in one play or, or, or took them, you know, 20. And that's fine. But he made that not matter. But I think you can make time possession matter if it's part of your design. Oh, absolutely. I, I do agree with that 100%. One of the things that we, we also try and be unique in, and we see it happening at every level, is the addition of motion on nearly every play. Yeah. What have you guys found with that? So, I, whatever reason, I got really into studying Joe Gibbs in the last like, year. Fascinated with Gibbs. Yeah. And, um, he was, I mean, you go back and watch. So I've been watching like a lot of old Redskins games, like on YouTube. He was a master of formations and motions, but it goes back. This is Lombardi's book. He said, Gibbs was a master of old plays, new ways. And so a lot of the ways to simply just disguise stuff is like throw in some motion, right? Throw in like, you know, change the formational bit. So we've seen, I think motion you, you, know who's the, you know who's the most heavy motion team in the NFL? Patriots. Hmm. Really? Interesting. Yeah. They use motion. I mean, it, it, even if it's just little motion, right? Like the, they'll, they'll start off with James White split out, then he'll just roll mm-hmm. back in the back. It's just cheap. I call it cheap motion. Motion can be – one, it often forces the defense to declare, right? That's what you're trying to do. They declare things they may not want to declare otherwise. And it just changes some eye level, right? Just it, all of a sudden, you get somebody's eyes moving. It can change your reaction time. It doesn't take a lot. So I'm a huge. I'll just see you guys some clips. Like I said, there was a, I forget which game. There was one game. I mean, Gibbs. It was like there was like seven different guys that were shifting emotions on plays. <laughs> it, was, it was fantastic seeing I do that. So I'm a big believer in find like find easy, cheap ways that don't hinder your ability to execute, but they can kind of make things look a little bit different. 
Yeah, we do that all the time. And we actually found out that our yardage per play when we motion is double that of when we don't motion. So in in our mind, we're like, this is a no brainer. You know, if you could turn two into four, well, that's, you know, how many more first downs in a game? See, that, like you guys are such ahead of the curve on a lot of that because so many coaches, like, if you, once again, but the thing about the genius, what you guys are doing, it's just measuring it, right? Like, you just measure it. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, let's do more of this because we're 16. Goes back to Abraham Lincoln, right? Nothing new. Right. Under the sun. Let's, let's, like, okay, wow, look, we, we got, we, we're getting double the yardage. And it's not like it's hard to add that in, right? It's not like you're having right. like, in hours of practice time to do it. It's cheap gains, really. That's right. It, that's that's right. all it is. So I've got one more question for you. I was looking at some of your stuff on coaching profiles. I'm kind of curious about this. Does it really does it really matter? Or does kind of like what you were saying, if he's got better players, he's gonna win anyway? Or what is I guess if you go to a to an A D, what's the one one, two, three thing that they want to know about this coach? The similar answer to a lot of other directors, they don't know. That, that's what's a little bit scary. You know, they, they don't know. You know, I mean, they'll, you know, they kind of always throw, they all start off kind of throwing off the intangible stuff, which is, you know, often the stuff that just doesn't matter as much. But it is interesting when you look at like, because we've both asked that, what's the profile of a successful coach? I was like, well, the answer is kind of going back to that Marcus Buckingham thing. It's like, they succeed. Right. I mean, like you say, like, kind of like, there's no, like, I'm not going to be able to say, here's the five characteristics because Mm -hmm. like I've heard, like, so what's fascinating, I I challenge you guys to do this. Ask people, you know, what separates coaches. You'll be shocked at how bad the answers are. Okay. You'll be like, what? Oh, well, it's just detailed. Well, I'm like, well, I mean, like, you know, I've had coaches tell me Steve Spurrier was the most undetailed human being on earth. And I mean, literally, they said barely, barely had practices planned in, in all ways. I mean, and one of the greatest coaches ever. You know, I mean, one mm-hmm. of the great coaches in college football history. There's plenty of there's plenty of detailed oriented coaches that aren't good. Right. Now, I'm not saying being detailed is a bad thing. You gotta look out for the halo effect. So the halo effect is the idea that when somebody's been successful, we assume everything they do is part of their success. But that's not true. No. There's still things they do that aren't part, right? You can say, well, actually, the, the guy that failed did seven of the ten things he did. But it's trying to figure out the couple that they didn't do. I think what's massively underrated in coaching is brains. Just, I mean – I mean, seriously, are you actually an intelligent human being? Are you curious? Are you well-read? You look at guys like Bill Wall- I mean, Bill Walsh used to say his single greatest advantage was that he was primarily coaching against PE teachers. And I don't mean that to be <laughs> just like, you know, All these guys, right, you know, it's just like they're, they're great guys, but, like, these weren't guys. I mean, you look at Bill Walsh, you look at Belichick, you look at guys like Parcells, you look at Joe Gibbs. I mean, look at, look at the success Joe Gibbs has had as a NASCAR guy. That guy, there's True. nothing he wouldn't be successful to. Bill Walsh could have run a Fortune 500 company. Bill Belichick could go run. I mean, these guys are really smart, curious people. Mm-hmm. Curiosity is one of the huge things I look for in a coach. Mm-hmm. How curious are they? Are they, right. are they always looking for edges? Are they all, you know – if I immediately go in, you find all these old stubborn coaches, you know, I don't need any damn analytics. I mean, I mean, okay, you're off any list I'd ever 
you go back to Chuck Noll, these guys, these are incredibly intelligent people. Now I've almost never studied a great coach. Like that, that was it. You look at wooden, you go back to wooden to, you know, they're all incredibly curious. They're extremely intelligent people. And that's been one of the biggest things I've looked at the traits like guys that are just curious, intelligent people that are always looking to find ways to get to gain edges. Oh, absolutely. It's that bit. It, it that has to be the front of the podcast, Jared. It has yeah. to be, it has to be the front of it because you're right. So many times we're standing there on a sideline and we're like, okay, I actually don't have to beat that other coach. What I have to do is make that kid who's practiced all week, give him something that he doesn't know what's going on. And then that coach is like, well, how do I fix this right now? And because you don't have a plan, because you had a 30 page scouting report that you didn't ever really understand a page, you don't know how to fix it. Funny story. We're a few years ago, we're playing and one of the coaches on the other sideline had, he had kind of ticked us off. I'll put it that way. We'll keep it G rating. He kind of ticked us <laughs> off in the pre in the off season. And I told JR, I go, we're going to, we're going to beat these dudes yeah. because that guy was just disrespectful. And one of the greatest feelings I had, I looked up and on the other sideline, JR, I don't know who this is. Dude is running back and forth down the sideline. Cause he's a D coordinator. Cause he can't figure out what the hell is happening. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, that's what you get for not being smart at what you're doing. That that's your. There's a, my favorite things we've come up with. And this is once again, this was uh, Parcells. Um, Parcells' mentor was his high school basketball coach, got in Mickey Corcoran. But Mickey taught him. He said, "Bill, there's always a way to win a game. It's your job to figure it out." We say, I always say, I don't want to look for a CEO. I want to. I want a CFO, a chief figure outer. Ultimately, your job as a coach is to give your players a plan to win. Like, it drives me crazy. Like, you'll see a game, and you're like, man, that was the worst game. You didn't give your guys a shot. You didn't give them a shot. It's a bad game plan. Like, they never had a chance to win that game. Figure it out. Like, and that's the key, right? Am I a figure out? At some point, you have to go into it a Friday night, a Saturday night, Sunday night. I have to go into that time and say, what are we, what am I doing to help my guys win this game? What kind of game? I think not enough coaches are critical enough on them. Lombardi and I talk about this a lot too. There's not enough rear view mirror in coaching me. You once again, kind of go into the know why you lost. You had a bad game plan. Why did you have a bad game plan? Because if you don't know that, you're likely to have more bad game. Do it again. Yeah. You had a good one. Why did we have a good one this game? Did what what did we do differently? Why was the game plan good? What went into that? And just spending time on that, like be a chief, figure it out. Or so many guys just coach to coach. That ain't it. Figure it out. You can't figure it out. Don't be that, don't be, you know, don't be a major decision making coach. You know, be a be a guy that's just, you know, don't be one of the key people on it. When we talk about too, you got to make sure on any given staff, who's driving strategy? Who are your strategists and who are your tacticians? Right. And they're different. I could have a guy that's a phenomenal tactician. He may be, he may know more about wide receiver, you know, foot placement or hands or catching, and that's phenomenal. But who's driving the strategy? Right. right? And like you got to understand, and too many times you'll see guys that'll put tacticians in strategic roles and they can't play it. That's a great point. I, I have a desk full of notes. 
I don't think you guys could see this, but I got <laughs> I got like a desk full of notes here because my whole desk is a is a whiteboard. So I just write on it like crazy. That's awesome. I have one last question for you before we move off air and, and finish this. Cause JR, we're gonna have to separate this into two parts because I don't want everybody to get it all at once. I want them to like <laughs> have to get two parts out of it. Can you still watch and enjoy a college football game knowing all that you know now? Yeah, I will say it's it's it is fascinating you bring that up. We 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 all four of us joke. It's definitely robbed some of the like <laughs> almost like you've seen too much of the process and you know too much. And it definitely changes the way. It definitely has ruined watching football a little bit because I can't watch it just in that like just very simplistic way. I would have watched it before we kind of got into this. So right. on one hand is it's fun to watch it because you can see a little bit more the you can you see it differently. You see the strategy. You see the good game plans, the bad game plans. You, you really – like when a certain play happens and you know how important it is and not other people did, it's kind of fun. But yeah. it definitely kind of robs – there is some innocence they used to have just be able to kind of have just watching it as a pure fan. You know, like mm-hmm. just, just, it's almost just the irrational – I kind of miss being the irrational fan. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. This has been – amazing to me and hey kudos to you guys too for for doing what you're doing um i think it's i love i love hearing you know your your players probably don't realize it because you know they obviously are playing for you not somebody else but just having coaches that are chief figure outers and giving your kids you know the chance to win because it's fun to win you know like it's just fun it's fun to win championships it's fun to win titles and and when you can as a coach or something so rewarding when you know that you did your job to give them that, right? And like you feel like there's a there's a there's a there's something very rewarding about that and saying, hey, you know, we put this effort in so that you guys can actually have these memories that are important and we can figure out and there's nothing better, especially it sounds like you guys aren't in a place where you just always roll in with better players. I mean, how fun is it to beat a team like when you know that you had no business beating them? Right. Oh, exactly. It's, it's, so it's crazy fun. awesome. It's crazy it's awesome. awesome. The kids, too, they'll have those memories forever. You know, like, mm-hmm. they'll remember that time they beat some team, they had no business beating, they'll tell their kids and grandkids about those stories. So, you know, that's where part of coaching is, and that's what analytics is, is, like, make really, really good decisions. And, you know, make sure you're not guessing. To your point, JR, we don't have to guess anymore. There's so yeah. much stuff out there, you know, that, that make sure you're digging into it. And you don't have to have, like, he sounds like you guys were pretty sophisticated – but even if you get intimidated, just start off with just start off with a pen and pad to start track seven. Then learn to then get more sophisticated. I always look at too, you know, not enough high school, colleges, et cetera, especially high school. I guarantee you there are so many students that don't play football, but would love to help coaches with Excel, with building yeah. data, with this stuff. So if you don't have this skill, find somebody that has this skill. Like I don't have coding or databasing skills. But I have really good what – I'm, what I'm really good at, I'm a good question asker and I'm good at figuring out how to, like, distill information into, into actual items. Mm-hmm. Then I go to my partners that have really incredible skill levels on the technical side with databases. With, hey, guys, what about – I mean, I, I literally have stuff where I've just – I've drawn by hand what I – like, my vision for a platform. And then I'll, I'll shoot over to Drew and he'll turn into reality. Part of being a good team is learning how to match skill sets too. Like just because I'm not initially good at something, but okay, why don't I, I am good at this. I need to match this up with somebody else. 
it's just like just like a good team, right? And that's what you got to look for. So too many people don't get intimidated that you can't do analytics. I mean, if, if you have a decent mind and are a curious person, you're probably already doing analytics in your head. Help find somebody that's got computer skills, got Excel skills, that has databasing skills. And, and most of the time they're willing to help you. Oh, absolutely. The best definition of the night, JR, I wrote it down. I'm going to read it right now. Analytics gives you this. It empowers your ability to make good decisions. And I'm going to follow that up with don't your athletes deserve those good decisions. That's right. For me, Mr. Prather, JR, it's got to be two parts, JR. We can't, we can't do it. <laughs> it has to be two. Break it up. Fantastic. And I'm going to tell people what I'm going to ask him offline. And they're going to have to ask us somewhere on Twitter or something what the answer to it is. Because we're going to stop the recording and nobody's going to hear it. Okay. Okay, we're going to hear it. We're going to know because we both want to know. Have you done an analytic search or uh, some kind of formula on the craziness of head coaches' Twitter's accounts? Twitter accounts. <laughs> because Mike Leach would certainly fit in there. He would and, be the best. And yeah. I, think, I think that has to be a layer. Don't answer it. Don't answer it because I know you have. <laughs> For process, preparation, performance, we're out.